Man, what a, what a great story of God's faithfulness in situations that felt and looked hopeless a lot of times for Mason. And also, I love Mason's coming to the realization of, okay, it's not just about the external situation changing, but God, what are you doing in my life right now? And that's really what God is up to in our lives and the things that we can't understand. And he, but he always has a good purpose. He always has the best purpose for our lives, and he always comes through. So it's, it's so exciting to celebrate that with Mason. And, and I know just around the room that we are all in different places in that journey of sometimes not, fe- not seeing the evidence of God's faithfulness or the promise being fulfilled or seeing it a little bit, but always in that in-between stage. But this is the life of faith that we're called to, and God is always faithful, and he comes through, and he does such a good work in us. We are, if I haven't met you yet, yet, my name is Jonathan Huff, and I get to serve as pastor here at Bluemont. And we are today wrapping up this little mini-series we've done called The King Jesus Gospel. And really our, whole, our theme this whole fall is about the gospel, which gospel is another word for good news. It's the good news about a new king. That's what gospel means. And so we're talking about how the message and story of Jesus changes the world and changes our lives. And really, we want to become experts at communicating this this gospel. And one of the things we have kind of a fun way to help us do that is we and our our partner churches have made these little, some t-shirts. This one says, Under New Management. It's got a picture of the globe. There are a couple others that we're going to give away to you for free today. Yeah. (laughs) They're like three options, a couple different colors, and they're in the lobby. So first come, first serve. We We have quite a few. Um, but let's not kill anybody like things, you know, Black Friday, I'm trying to get them. Um, but we got a lot of, lot of, lot of sizes. And, um, but these are, there. one says you got to serve somebody, which is actually what we're talking about today. Um, another one says your allegiance is showing. Uh, this one says under new management. And they're fun conversation starters to wear and have conversations with people, hopefully leading um, to, to talking about the story of King Jesus. We, we have a few other options, too. I just want to mention these last week, but I mentioned them real quick. Um, in the next few weeks, to help you grow in telling the story. So Katie already mentioned the, the Knowing God class is next Sunday, right after our church service. We're going to have a lunch where we'll be going over knowing God and really learning the story of King Jesus and how to tell it as well. We practiced at that time. Today, we have a small group training for small group people that are wanting to help to make disciples of others and help lead small groups. It's this afternoon, 2 to 3.30 at our house. Anybody's welcome. And we're specifically talking about what is the gospel and practicing telling that story. And then we have Kingdom Living Books on the resources table as well. And next week, we kick off our next series, which is going through the book of Romans, and which is really breaking down the gospel. So our, our, we're calling it Romans Good News for Everyone. And for eight weeks, we're going to be going through the book of Romans. Um, but today we're, we're following up from what we talked about last week. We, last week we talked about imaging the invisible God. We talked about how God has made people as, as imagers. We're made in the image of God, and we're made to image or to reflect God in the world. And to refresh us, or if, if you weren't here, uh, in Genesis 1.26, this is the creation story when God first made the first people. In, in Genesis 1, verse 27, actually, We read, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over all the other creatures in the world. And so we talked about how we are made in the image of God. We are made to reflect God. And today our title is The Myth of Autonomy. The Myth of Autonomy. That sounds kind of cool. What's autonomy? Well, we've got a definition for you. Autonomy is the condition or quality of being autonomous or independent. So autonomy basically means independence. Free from the control or influence of any outside agency. This is kind of like what we think the goal of life is, right? Especially in America. Like, man, we, got, we started with the Declaration of Independence. Like, that's so much a part of our, of our culture. Some of you are just starting college, and you're away from home. I've got a son in, the, in, those, in that place right now. And that's kind of like, man, I'm independent, stepping out on my own. And there's some healthy aspects of, of taking responsibility for our life. But the idea of autonomy is actually unavoidably a myth. It is impossible for us to be truly autonomous, to be truly independent, because we are made as imagers of God. For us to be really autonomous would be like for a mirror to say, I'm going to choose my own look. I'm going to choose what I look like today. No matter how hard that mirror tries to look a certain way, as soon as someone comes in front of the mirror, that mirror will reflect whatever is in front of it. And that is what human beings are like. We cannot be autonomous. We are made as the image of God, and we will, we will always be the image of God, although sin corrupts that. But there's also just this aspect in our nature that we're going to reflect something. Whatever is first place in our life, wherever our allegiance is, we are going to reflect that. So autonomy is a myth. We're going to continue on in the, the story of when God first made Adam and Eve, the first people, and then how things went, that really looking at this theme of the myth of autonomy. So in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 15, and before I say that, I just want to say that, man, it's impossible to be autonomous, but we sure as heck do try. And me as much as anybody. And I, I'm a very, like, an independent-minded person. I, yesterday I asked my wife, Reagan, like, hey, what are some of the ways that I try to be autonomous? And she, like, no pause, had, like, <laughs> bam, 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 bam. And she was like, the first thing she said, remember the first thing I thought it was when we were newly married and you went on a run? And I, my, a lot of my identity growing up was as a distance runner. Distance runners are especially prone to be independent-minded. They're out there by themselves for long periods of time. It's kind of, it can get kind of weird. But especially, I went for a run through the woods, through a trail in the woods. And I came back, and she's like, how? I thought this was going to be a short run. It took you a, little, a lot longer. It's been like over an hour. I said, well, I was following this trail, and then I thought it branched off. I thought I was following this trail, but it got, you know what it's like in the woods. It just kind of got narrower and narrower, and you're like, oh, this wasn't a trail, actually. So instead of going back and retracing my steps to the trail where people go, I thought, no, I'll just like, figure this out for myself. And I forged my own path through the woods until I got thicker and thicker and brambles and thistles. And I was all beat up and scratched and eventually made it, but it wasn't, it wasn't that great of a run, really. I saw some new territory, but that was my autonomy. You know, I, I tend to, I like arguing. I like being right. I like, you know, I like having these discussions. 
And I think, like, this is just a logical discussion. But it's very easy to just run over the people around me in my, like, really desire to be right. And the, the list goes on and on, so let's just stop there. <laughs> <coughs> but, Genesis, but we all have our ways. And actually, I'm going to give you a list and a little bit of ways that autonomy shows in our life. So just brace yourself for that. Genesis 2, actually starting in verse 8. We read, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. That's a beautiful world God made. All sorts of natural abundance and resources for people to enjoy and benefit from. Trees all over the place that are beautiful and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life. This was the best tree of all. Literally, God said that later we find out that if you ate the fruit from that tree, you would never die. So this is literally like the, the fountain of youth. This is, you eat this fruit, you, you live forever. God's made this abundant world. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This other tree. And then if, for a few verses later in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, all this world of abundance and goodness, but you must not eat from one tree, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is very interesting. Why... All this, again, so much, so much goodness, one restriction, one command, don't eat from that tree. Why was that, why the command? Why is there a command? Or else, also, why is there a tree? Why is there a tree of knowledge of good and evil? It seems like it would have been a lot safer without that. And we talked last week about the way that God has given us free will, that it's to be God's image, there has to be choice involved. To be, to live at the level of the dignity that he made us for. It has to be where we are choosing, not just doing something because we, we have no choice or God forces us. Um, so there is a tree and there is a command. And I think it's really, the command is essential because it establishes that as much as we are the image of God, as much as we are of very high worth and value, we are not God. There is a God, and it's not me, and it's not you. It's him. And so we are images of him. We are to reflect him in the world. We are to serve him and serve his agenda, his way, and we're not God. And so the command establishes, hey, you got all this freedom, but this, you know, it's for me. I'm God. You're the image. We're doing this in partnership together, but, but I'm God. And the, also it shows that the whole tree of the knowledge of good and evil shows that there are Aspects of judging things, of being like the final judge of what is good and what's bad, that we were not designed to be the ones to make those determinations. It wasn't for us to, to do, and man, we're so good. You know, we always are assessing everything, judging everything, but our mission was not to be the arbiter of good and evil. It was to hear God's commands and trust him and follow them and carry them out. And there are consequences for going our own way. He said, in the day, when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So there are, there are consequences for, for trying to be autonomous. 
So here there is. Here's the situation. We move on to, verse, to chapter 3. The temptation of autonomy. And we read, now the serpent. It's interesting, there was a serpent in the garden. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now I thought that word crafty just kind of jumps out to me. The serpent was more crafty. What does that mean? I actually looked it up. We've got a definition here. Crafty means clever at achieving one's aims by indirect or deceitful methods. The serpent was crafty. It had an agenda. It had aims. It had something it wanted to do. And it, but its crafty nature was that it wasn't going to just tell them, hey, I actually want to rule the universe. I need your help. Would you like to serve me? Would you like to join my side? Here, I'm, see, I'm, you know, no, it was, is indirect, deceitful, didn't play his hand, didn't show what he was up to, but had an agenda and used indirect, hard to decipher methods to carry them out. And that's important for us to realize because though the schemes are still coming at us today and they're hard to, they're hard to decipher, they're indirect. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from any fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, actually, it's interesting. He's, he's saying, you'll be like God. They already were like God. They already were the image of God. They already had so much. But this clever, crafty deception comes and says, hey, yeah, no, there's something more. There's something more. Independence. Come out from under God's leadership in your life. Come out from his commands, his instructions, there's more if you do it your own way. If you do this. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, it's interesting. Her assessment of the tree had changed already. Before, she had heard God's description of the tree, and he said, hey, if you eat from that, you're going to die. If someone had asked Eve, is that fruit good? She would have said, no, that's horrible fruit. It'll kill me. That's not good. But now this idea, she hears a different voice. She hears different words, different thoughts come to her mind. And now it's, oh, that's good. She's seen it differently. She saw that the fruit was good and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, man, it's interesting the Bible says that the woman was deceived but the man wasn't deceived in the same way as the woman. He more willingly made a choice to come out from obedience to, to God. Anyway, just a side note there. Um, just for guys, we, we get full of ourselves. Just remember that. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This one of the probably the most tragic sentence in the whole Bible. That the man and woman who were in fellowship with God, in union with God, innocent, at peace, full of joy, unfettered relationship with God, now they're hiding. Now they're separated from God. Now they're trying to hide something about who they are and where they're at from God. That's what sin does. They hid from the Lord God. That's what autonomy does. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Now think about that. We can miss this, but God didn't say, what process of logic and analyzation did you go through in your own mind to come to the conclusion that you're naked? What evidence do you see that may led you to believe that you are naked? And I said, now who told you? It's almost as if Adam and Eve are now listening to another voice. There are there's a voice coming to them, telling them things that is different than what God had told them before. They're, and that is, again, it's, they were not autonomous. When they listened to the temptation, they began opening themselves up to voices from another source. And that's important because we hear voices, right? It's not just the crazy people. We're all crazy. We all got voices coming to us every day. And they're not just our voices. They're not just our thought process. They're not just our logic and reason. The feelings of shame and feelings of, you know, all the self-harm, I mean, and just pride and so many things that come to us. Many of those, we, we have ability in ourselves to manufacture plenty of dark thoughts, but there are a lot of things that we are being told that are from another source, just as Adam and Eve were. It's a myth of autonomy. Who told you? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? So Adam and Eve picked autonomy, and so do you and I. So I want to go through a little list here. Where does autonomy play out in our lives? Where does or the, you know, our attempt to be autonomous? Where does, how does that play out in our life? Well, I, some of you saw this. I, I posted this question on Facebook because I wanted a little help, and some of you helped, and a few other, some other people, so thank you for your help. Let's just fill in the blank. You might be autonomous if. You might be autonomous if. I just want to read some of these because there are quite a few. This is some of the way it plays out. You might be autonomous if you tend to try to figure it out yourself or you, if you isolate and don't ask for help. Man, there's the first dagger in my heart right there. You might be autonomous if you don't think you need to pray. If you think you don't need more of the Holy Spirit in your life. You might be autonomous if you self-medicate. That's one of the very big issues when we're looking to alcohol or drugs or 
porn or whatever it is, oftentimes we are self-medicating, taking it on ourselves, trying to deal with the issues internally. We're autonomous if, we might be autonomous if you have not repented of your sins, if you've never turned from your sins. You just might be autonomous. Um, you might be autonomous if others don't know you're a Christian. You might be autonomous if your wallet hasn't yet gotten saved. Ooh. You might be autonomous if you, if you say, you do you. That's a big one in our culture. Like, okay, hey, you do you. I'll do me. You have your truth. I have my truth. Like, let's just, like, we all have our little spheres, and we all have our own little autonomous world. That just might be some autonomy going on. You might be autonomous if you don't have friends who you open up with. If you don't have people in your life that you're real with and you're sharing what's going on internally. You might be autonomous if you look down on others, if you judge others. That just might be some autonomy going on. Um, you might be autonomous if you're constantly striving because you think your success is only from your own efforts. That's a big one for me. Um, you might be autonomous if you don't want others to infringe on your personal space. You might be autonomous if you're more interested in self-preservation than sacrificial living. Or if you don't go to events, gatherings, unless you think you'll get something out of it. Or you might be autonomous if you have hidden, unconfessed, unconfessed sin in your life. Um, you might be autonomous if you have issues with authority. Might be a little bit of a hint. You might be autonomous if you're defensive. All right, am I speaking to the right people here? Anyone deal with any of this stuff? So why, why are you bashing me over the head today? Like, why are you doing this? Like, can't you just leave me in my, like, autonomous, ignorant bliss? Like, this is kind of good. Well, because autonomy actually hurts us. It hurts us bad. We see that Adam and Eve, they, they were infected, and the human race and the world has been infected ever since that choice. Um, and because just the reality is, and this this is a little weird, okay, we don't want to think about this in our culture, but the whole premise of today is if we're not trusting God and aligned with him, then we're aligned with something else, somebody else, some other influences. We will inherently image something. Jesus talked about this in Luke 11, verse 24. He was teaching, and he said, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person... It passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Jesus is talking about, this is a whole conversation about evil spirits and of casting out of evil spirits, which was a very big part of Jesus' ministry. A lot of what he did, and it's a big part of what his disciples did, was he went and they, in authority of Jesus and his kingdom, commanded evil spirits to depart from people and be separated from people. And so Jesus says this, he says, hey, when that happens, when, when the kingdom of God comes and an evil spirit is pushed out of the influence it has in a person's life, it goes away. And he's saying that oftentimes what happens is that 
that person's life, their soul remains empty. It's not filled up with God. They do not image God. And so the spirit is gone, but because we're imagers, we have to image something. And eventually that spirit will come back and find, oh, wide open, empty house. I'm going to call my friends and have a house party here. And brings more. And the state of that person is worse than before. There is this reality that, that we used to, Mason used this word of being a vessel of God. We are vessels. Images, vessels, is a very similar idea. We will vessel something. Something is going to be, we, we're imagers. And a lot, we think about, you know, demon possession and all that. We have images of head spinning and all sorts of crazy stuff. Really, the Bible, the Bible talks about the demonic and its influence on people. It's not really de- demon possession, but demonized is, is literally the word that it's used. And it's more the idea that the, the demonic, evil spirits, have a, a grab of hold of a part of our life. That we open up to letting evil, letting darkness, grab a hold of certain parts of us when we sin. And so it's not that our heads are spinning most of the time or crazy stuff like that, but it's that we are under the influence of sin. Um, One of the people who understood this the best, if you are under 35, you may not know who this is, was Bob Dylan. My my roommate my freshman year was a huge Bob Dylan fan. He played Bob Dylan music all the time. And there was a period, so he was an artist, you know, came, came on the scene in the 60s and 70s. And there was a time in the 70s when he was serving God, and he had a lot of insight. And he had a line in one of his songs. He said, you're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. So hence our t-shirts out there. Some of them say, you're going to have to serve somebody. That's the reality. Is we, we cannot be autonomous. We, we're going to serve somebody. The Bible talks about this all over the place. In Ephesians 6.12, we read, For our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Um, this is a reality. There's an unseen world that is all around us. There are spiritual forces, and we are in a battle against those forces. And most cultures get this better than modern Western culture, actually. Most of the world understands this. And in fact, we, th- we can look at other cultures and go, oh, that's so ignorant. They have these statues, these idols. Like, why would they, why would they ever, like, pray to a statue? But cultures, people that worship idols, don't, they're not actually praying to that statue. But when they make the idol, they have a ceremony where they invite a spirit to come and inhabit that object. And they understand that there is an entity out there, whether the god of money or sex or prosperity or power or harvest or whatever it is, they are inviting that spirit to be the thing that they are praying to and worshiping and coming in alignment with. Now, we don't usually do that, but we do that. All those same idols, all those same false gods, they're all around us. We got the God of sex, we got the God of money, we got the God of success, we got the God of power. We see it in our perfectionism, in our addictions, in our striving, and those, those entities 
they are real. And they, they want to infect us. And they want to bring harm to our lives. And they do. And what's interesting is, though, in the West, I think the devil is, he has upped his game even more. And in the West, he's, he's, he plays differently. And he follows the rules um, from ancient warfare, from, from uh, Sun Tzu and the Art of War, was a Chinese writer hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. He said this, he said, all warfare, all warfare is based on deception. Hence, when we are able to attack, we must seem unable. When using our forces, we must appear inactive. When we're near, we must make the enemy believe that we are far away. Now that's really good warfare. To be present and near and affecting things, but your enemy doesn't even know you're there. That's what the devil wants to do in our life, is to influence us without us realizing that he is. Romans 6, Paul writes and he says this, he says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Two choices. We're slaves to sin, or we're servants of God. There's no middle ground. We're either serving God or serving sin, one or the other. But thanks be to God. And, and I, I think it's important there that, you know, the personification of sin, slaves to sin. Like we think of sins as things that we do, and that, that is sin. But sin is also a power. There's a spiritual power of sin. And we all know that all too well, right? Like that we're coming up against, there's, there's a power. And so it's not just like, don't do this, but it's this real warfare against either we're going to be under that power of sin or we're going to be under the power of God and serving God. It's one or the other. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Wow, there's a change there. You were under the power of sin, but now you're serving God. Now you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Now that word, that word allegiance says it all. It says a lot. It's either, now where is our allegiance? Is it to God or to something else? But it's also that it's not just like, hey, try harder. Like, try to serve God. But it's this, the power of God, the grace of God, the gospel, that through Jesus and what he's done on the cross and with his resurrection, when we trust in him, he changes us from the inside. And his power claims our heart. And we're loving God, not because we have to or we think we should, but because something is working from the inside out and transforming us and leading us to a place of allegiance. You have been set free from sin, and you've become slaves to righteousness. We're set free from sin, become slaves of righteousness. Jesus said it like this in John 10, 10. He said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they may have life, and may have it to the full. Now this is the options. Autonomy, which leads to destruction of our, our lives, fragmentation of our souls, fragmentation of our relationships, brokenness in the world, or Jesus, who comes that we may have life, 
And he's that kind of king that when we, when we see who he is, when we see how good he is, and I just, the more you know Jesus, the more you interact with him, the more you read about him in the Bible, it's like, wow, he's so different from the kind of kings that we would be or that the world has. But he takes his power and his authority and he totally humbles himself and he totally uses his power for the good of others. His power is all for our good. It's all to bring us life and abundance and blessing. And that doesn't mean that life's always easy, because it's not. But it means that everything that he brings to us as he is our king brings his goodness into our life and through our life. Um, yeah. So Jesus is a good king. He's a good king. I and mean, that's, that's the awesome part about this, is like, we don't have to be autonomous. We, can, we have a good king that we can image him. And that is the life that we're looking for, the life that we're made for, the life that God has for us. Um, John 12, 26, last scripture here. Jesus said this. He said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Just, just take a minute. Just ponder this. If it, ponder this. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. I love how that highlights the relational aspect of this all. That serving God is not just, you know, being a slave somewhere who's just being used, but it's a call to follow. Jesus says, "Come, follow me." It says when Jesus called his disciples, it says he called those who he wanted to be with him. And that, he would, that they would be with him and that they would have authority. And so when we serve God, it's a call to relationship with him and to have authority from him. If anyone serves me, he will follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This morning... I believe that it's an opportunity for us, that God is wanting us to look at our own lives and just see, okay, wow, what's going on? Where, where have I been trying to be autonomous and actually coming under the power of other gods? Where, where have I been duped? Where have I been taken? And... Do I, do I want to stay in that place, basically? Do I want to stay in that place? Or do I want to come into the freedom that comes from, from serving God? And so if you're here this morning and you have never given control of your life over to God, man, this is the best day possible to do that. This is the best day possible to say, you know what, I'm enough of me trying to be autonomous. I am ready to recognize that Jesus is the king. And I, want, I am made to live for him. And I want to live for him. And I want to trust what he did on the cross to take away my sin and pay the price for my sin and give me new life and give me the ability to be his follower, to be his servant. And that's just a matter of trusting God and saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you. And then there are a lot of us here today that are like, you know, I've done that, but I keep like, I keep, I keep finding myself autonomous in different areas. 
And there was one time where Peter, Jesus asked his disciples, who do, who do people say I am? And Peter had this perfect answer. You're the Christ. You're the son, of the son of the living God. And Jesus said, yes, blessed are you. You got it. And he's like, yeah, man, revelation. I'm, I'm getting it. I'm aligned. Yeah. And then Jesus said something about, yeah, and you got to pick up your cross, and, or I'm going to go to the cross and die. And Peter's like, no way. Like, no, may it never be, Lord. And Jesus looked at him and said, get away from me, Satan. Like, wow. Like, two par- one paragraph later. Blessed are you, and now I'm calling you Satan. And sometimes Jesus is calling us Satan. Because that's what we're aligned with. There's stuff in our heart. Like, that's really where we're, where we're lined up. And so, this morning I'm trusting that God, by his Holy Spirit, is, is showing us, man, this is an area where I've been, I've, want, I've been autonomous. But I don't want to be that way anymore. I want to surrender this to God and come under his rule in my life. And so I'm going to pray for us. Um, worship team, you can go ahead and come on up. In a minute, we're going we're to worship God with one more song. Um, I want to pray for, for us that God would help us.